Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen Podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacy of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself from our own archives. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. Hello and uh, welcome to episode 35 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast and uh, once more we're doing a vodcast as well for this very special episode where we'll be celebrating the 60th anniversary of The Three Worlds of Gulliver and kind of having a bit of a Christmas special as well uh, between us to celebrate the end of, of Ray's centenary year. Uh, and uh, what a tumultuous year it's been. Uh, my name's Connor Heaney, and I'm joined once more by Foundation Trustee John Walsh. How are you, John? Hello, Connor. It's great to be here. And it is our, although it's our second vodcast, it's the first that we've done together. So people know us as teaming up on our award-winning uh, podcast series. And this carries on because this will be available, won't it, at the usual sort of audio outlets like Spotify, etc. Is that right? That's right. If you if you like, if you prefer listening. To, to audio only podcasts like, uh, like like myself I listen to a lot of podcasts then this will still be available via um, Apple podcasts and Spotify and SoundCloud on all of the usual platforms but you'll also be able to to get a visual version of the show on YouTube and Vimeo and all of the foundation's social media channels so because uh, because we're celebrating today Particularly, one of one of Ray's classic films will be will be showing a few images on screen as well, uh, a few treasures from the archive, sixty years on for the Three Worlds of Gulliver. Absolutely, that's exciting. Um, Three Worlds of Gulliver, one of the um, films that people associate less, I suppose, with Ray Harryhausen because there's less stop motion animation. But of course, in terms of special effects, it's probably the most prolific. Uh, maybe just behind Clash of the Titans for special effects sequences, because mixing the uh, the full size actor with the miniatures and vice versa um, was really um, a very complicated affair, Connor, wasn't it? That's right. I think some people who've seen the film assume that Ray Harryhausen didn't have much to do; that it was a bit of a holiday for him in Spain, uh, given that there are only two relatively short stop motion sequences in the finished film. However, Ray was responsible for all of the, uh, I suppose, the trick photography in the film, all of the uh, the travelling mats. There's some 300 plus travelling mat shots in the movie, where so that that's kind of the film's primary special effect. There's also lots of clever little tricks, forced perspective, rear projection. Uh, I think Ray Harryhausen said of, of the movie, he said uh, this this film used every trick that's in the bag and a couple that uh, that were not. So he had to kind of think on his feet. And I, I think it was quite a quite a difficult um, movie for, for Ray to make, actually, just because of the amount of responsibility he had for, for the various optics. Uh, but but definitely one, I think, that uh, fans can, can go back and enjoy the, 
the, the different aspects of, of Ray's work there. Um, I, I rewatched the movie for, for this podcast and it's actually quite, you know, when, when you pay attention to all of the different techniques that are being employed in these, you know, you're zooming in on close-ups and then it's out to um, sort of a, a traveling match shot. Then there's a bit of forced perspective. Then there's an oversized, an oversized prop. And Ray was sort of on set uh, kind of overseeing all of that work. So quite a complicated film for Ray, um, but one that I think is, uh, you know, just as fresh as ever 60 years on. And of course, there's now a wonderful 4K Blu-ray restoration of the movie for, for everyone to enjoy at home. So it's one of four of Ray Harryhausen's films that now is available in 4K. And in terms of its kind of lineage, it's only the second colour film Ray made. So we're talking about um, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, 1958, being just before this, and then following on from Gulliver in 1961, Mysterious Island. So um, it was an interesting choice because to do something that had so much of what's called the yellow sodium backing process, and we might refer to it now as green screen. I mean, I'm in front of a green screen, and I think you are too, Connor. Um, yeah, that's the, right. the process years ago was a photochemical one, which involved um, expensive laboratory time to separate elements and to film them separately. And it was Rank Laboratories here in, in London that uh, was really the place that would do it for the price that the production could afford. So had this film shot in United States between sort of the union rules and the minimum amount of people you'd need on a crew and laboratory costs, because of course Hollywood was probably had the busiest um, photochemical laboratories in the world they couldn't have made it for the price that Columbia was charging or was paying them to, to make the film through Morningside so you know the the need to be in the UK was was one that they wanted to be here but of course the film really had to be here as well so um, I, I think during my commentary recording um, for the three worlds of Gulliver uh, Ray revealed that he said that we found that you can't keep on using uh, the Grand Canyon and other canyons in America for lost island settings. Um, there's a lot of new scenery in Europe and very few people are shot in Spain at that time where, where they'd set Gulliver. So there was that sense of it being a new world in terms of filmmakers um, where you can go. Of course, Spain now is full of uh, holiday hotels on the coastline, as you might expect. So I, I, I would like to see if um, any of the fans out there know where the kind of the, the, uh, the beach line behind me, what that is now, if it's a, a complex of uh, holiday homes and hotels. I suspect it is, Connor. Well, we do occasionally get fans on Facebook that visit locations and particularly in Spain because so many of Ray's films were shot there. Um, some of the locations have remained unspoilt and others, as you might imagine, are unrecognisable some 60 years on. But uh, it's always interesting to see how, how Ray and, and, of course, Charles Schneer, uh, the producer of the film, were, were thinking and ways of making a film that perhaps other people at the time ha had not quite foreseen. Um, this, this movie was a turning point for Ray in terms of his personal life because it was during the making of this film that he decided once and for all just to cut out the middleman and move to London. So he moved to, to the United Kingdom and stayed there for the rest of his life. Um, obviously, initially, that was due to, to the locations offered in Europe and this access to, uh, to the rank sodium backing uh, technology that was available for him to use here. But then over time, obviously, uh, his personal life, he, he, he became a married man. He married Diana Livingston Bruce, had his daughter Vanessa, and there he'd put some roots down and stayed, stayed in London um, for, for the rest of his life. So I suppose this film does represent a, a turning point and 
Ray ended up contributing quite a lot to, to the British film industry. There's a lot of uh, a lot of sort of great British actors in the Three Worlds of Gulliver and all of Ray's following films. Of course, now Kerwin Matthews is returning. So Kerwin, of course, was uh, was Sinbad for Ray Harryhausen, but he wasn't the first choice. You know, the uh, the production team wanted to do something which was more of a musical extravaganza. So Danny Kaye, who was the big star of the time. Um, was somebody they wanted in the lead and uh, he couldn't be released from his uh, contract with Samuel Goldwyn. Um, and next they, they tried Jack Lemmon, which seems a bit of a, of a, of a sort of a handbrake turn from Danny Kaye to Jack Lemmon, for those who know uh, Jack Lemmon, who's, who's a, a much quieter sort of screen presence. Um, but um, they, they thought that uh, Charles um, asked Jack Lemmon, but they thought he wasn't really the right, the right fit for the film. The right fit was under their nose all the time. Kerwin Matthews was... Um, was splendid as both Sinbad and as Gulliver. And, and I think when people talk about Gulliver, there are other films, there are animated films, of course, and there was a recent film with Jack Black. Most people, when they imagine Gulliver, they imagine the three worlds of Gulliver. They're imagining Ray Harryhausen's film. And maybe a lot of people don't realise it is a Ray Harryhausen film. Um, because again, as you said, Connor, it's, the stop motion isn't that prominent, is it? No, that that's right. I mean, I think I think you're right about Kerwin Matthews. There, Kerwin had obviously worked with Ray and understood a lot of the uh, the, the techniques and the disciplines involved uh, when it came to acting and acting to nobody and sort of um, anticipating Ray's special effects. Um, but given that this is an adaption of, of uh, Jonathan Swift's book uh, Gulliver's Travels, uh, the Gulliver in that book is. is Kind of far more cynical and, and misanthropic. This this film required a lighter touch, and Kerwin Matthews is just perfect for that. That you know is a you know a, a light screen presence. There's a, there's a an air of innocence about him, I suppose, uh, which is really fits the, the tone of the film very well. And uh, Kerwin Matthews revealed that this was actually his favourite of the, of the two. Harryhausen movies that he starred in this was the the role he he preferred most I suppose it's a a slightly meteor role for him he has a lot to do in this movie and a lot of dialogue I think so you know and it, and from an actor's point of view I think this is much more of a challenge and much more satisfying I mean it is interesting you talk about the original Jonathan Swift novel you know some people feel that hang on what are the three worlds of Gulliver here we've we've had with the Lilliputians you know we've had Gulliver large and small where's the third world of course it is the world he came from um, but of course in the book um, there was a there was another world and it was a, a race of talking horses um, that are ruled over um, that are rulers over the deformed human-like creatures called yahoos um, and that would have been I think too much in terms of uh, a technical reach and as, as Ray sort of experimented with um, Baron Munchausen you know doing lip sync on, on animation is, is, isn't really that practical um, and, and, you know, a lot of this came out when we did the research for Harryhausen, the Lost Movies. We, we found that in all of Ray's films, there were, there were scenes that were cut from his, uh, his own uh, finished films that, uh, that didn't make it and were cut at a sort of an early stage. Um, there's, a, there's a fabulous drawing that, uh, that we can see on screen. And it's the, uh, it's the, it's the little devil. Um, the magician in the king's palace was to have conjured a devilish little homunculus to fight with um, tiny little Gulliver. And this was much more in keeping with the images of hell depicted by sort of Gustav Doré's Bible etchings. Um, but the sequence was cut. The homunculus would uh, obviously return in the Golden Voyage of Sinbad in 1973. But I think it's an indication towards the family-friendly audience that I think they were looking for, Connor, wasn't it? That they didn't want it. They wanted peril and drama, but nothing that was sort of satanic or evil. 
Yes, I, th- I think you're right. I think it also speaks to the fact that this was an existing project, which uh, which Charles Sneer purchased the rights for and then sort of worked upon with Ray. Because for most of Ray Harryhausen's movies, we'd have eight or nine of these uh, key drawings um, where Ray would, would sort of uh, highlight the key points of the film and what what sort of special uh, what sort of special effects he would like to introduce, uh, featuring stop motion models. Uh, so it's quite interesting that the one key drawing for the three worlds of Gulliver actually didn't end up appearing in, in the final film, and and looks like it looks like a key drawing for the Golden Voyage of Sinbad or or some or something similar. You know, one of one of Ray's later films. So in terms of what we have in the archive uh, for for Ray Harryhausen's preparations for for the three worlds of Gulliver, it's page upon page upon page of planning for for traveling mat shots and storyboards and that kind of shows you the, the hard work that Ray really had to do I mean there is there's a stop motion in this film which we'll, we'll talk about in some detail but I think the bulk of this movie Ray really had to get the perspective shots right and the travel mat shots right and the perspective shots there's there's a few very clever forced perspective shots in this movie which is definitely cheaper but uh, it's only cheap if you get it right. And Ray had to be very exacting in terms of having, you know, one character very close to the camera and another uh, group of characters uh, and actors, you know, thir- uh, 20 to 30 feet away. Um, you know, it, it looks fantastic when you get it right, but obviously Ray was responsible for, for setting up all of those shots. Yeah, the interesting thing is in, in this instance, because there's no skeletons coming from the ground or a giant cyclops, the best of Ray's work isn't noticed, is it? You know, it's a bit like glass mat shots in films that extend sets or show a city skyline. The very best ones you don't notice. And, you know, throughout, um, if, if you're able to watch the film and have like a buzzer come on or an arrow point at a special effects sequence, you'd find that throughout Gulliver, there, 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 there'd be arrows and bells going off left, right and center. I mean, he was to have been confronted Gulliver by lots of stop motion creatures. There was gonna be a, a monkey, a wasp, a dog, a frog, a giant eagle was to have carried Gulliver um, from one land to another, um, from, from I think from Lilliput to the land of the giants um, and for the, end, uh, the film's finale. Um, these were cuts, you know, the, the, there's what you can achieve on the budget and in the time. And then there's, there's what's, um, what's practical. And, and sometimes it's not always a, 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 um, a money issue, a budget issue. For those of you who've, who've read, and I'm gonna plug my new book, hey, Flash Gordon, the official story of the film. They had so much money on that film, three times what they had on Star Wars. And people are like, what? It had three times the budget of Star Wars, yes. It had more special effects than the original Star Wars from 1977. The only thing it wasn't bigger in was the box office returns, of course. Um, so they didn't have the time on that picture to do all of the complicated flying effects they needed. So I think even if Ray had twice the budget here, Connor, it's really the schedule first, then the budget second, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and Charles Schneer was known for his exacting schedules and his, his very sort of disciplined approach to filmmaking. And in the end, you can have all, all the money in the world, but there's only only one Ray Harryhausen and there's only so many hours in the day for him to to carry out his work. Um, it's, it's interesting though because this film is uh, you know often referred to as, as having a low budget but I, I, I don't feel like it looks like it's got a low, I think it looks magnificent, it's, it looks like a big movie. Uh, it obviously has a fairly big cast given that there's sort of three worlds involved and three sets of characters but I think that the film looks fantastic in all of its different settings and locations and so again that was part of Ray's magic is taking a little bit of money and making it go a long way. Absolutely you know the, the, these these films are really 
tight and low budgets. They're not B movies, of course. But as you say, when people see a costume drama and they see all this, what looks like an extravagance and they assume it's a big budget. Um, but you have in the archive there, I'm very jealous at that end because you're in the uh, the uh, the secret Ray Harryhausen archive. You have some of the original characters from the film. Is that right? I do, yes. As we've mentioned, there's only two stop motion creatures in this film. The first of which is, uh, I suppose, a slightly atypical Harryhausen creation because it's based on a real creature. I'll just reach over and get him. I'm wearing my archival gloves here because this is a very delicate original model from the three worlds of Gulliver. This is the squirrel that you see in the film. Now, as you can see, this model has not yet been restored by Alan Friswell. It's on the to-do list. And so you can see the, the model's armature poking through there at his, at his arms and his feet. But this is a this is a, a squirrel. So this is a, a taxidermy squirrel that uh, that Ray, as with all of his early films, that Ray's father Frederick created an armature for. Um, Ray then inserted it into into this real squirrel's body, uh, padded it out with, with foam, and uh, it's you know, it, it's looking fantastic for a sixty year old model stop motion model. Uh, I think a few people were surprised to see a squirrel in a Ray Harryhausen picture. He looks, I think he looks slightly terrifying just with his, uh, the, the decay there on his face. I think there's something fairly unsettling about stop motion models that have, have sort of deteriorated over time. But this is the original model. And, and John, what were, your, you know, what were your memories of watching this film as a youngster? I suppose a lot of people were sitting, waiting to see that first Ray Harryhausen stop motion creation burst into life on the screen. I guess so. Yes. I mean, it's um, I remember that the squirrel has um, I mean, he's a marvellous piece there. And actually, he, he looks in pretty good condition when we consider he hasn't been restored at all. I'm looking forward to seeing him restored. Um, I like the sequence. It's there's a lot of peril in there. And the front of the squirrel looks more rats like when he's trying to get um, um, Gulliver out of that hole. And it's interesting because it was going to be a rat originally. And we have uh, we have a picture that we can show now. There it is. Um, so you know, um, it, 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 it was going to be a rat. But, um, you know, Charles Schneer has a loathing of both rats and snakes, and that would account for these sort of scenes being cut. Um, so I think it was with the alligator they intended having the, uh, the rat showdown. It was going to be in the, in the palace. But I suppose the squirrel and rat would have been too, too, too close a character to, to have had together. But uh, I must say, I think he's in, in pretty decent nick there. Um, and I like the animation. It's kind of playful. It, when, when I watch Gulliver, what springs to mind, and I think it's partly because of Bernard Herrmann's very cheerful music and there's that sort of theme to Gulliver, the song, it has a feeling of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, um, which, is, which is the wonderful film that Cubby Broccoli from the James Bond um, camp uh, created. And it was actually a box office flop when it first came out. It's amazing to think. But Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is now is considered to be a family favourite. But I think this film captures some of that sort of family magic particularly with the girl with the placid hair and and the rather sort of twee storylines it, it it feels like it's from that universe had you said to me it's from the people who made Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and they hired Ray Harryhausen I'd have been like yep that sounds about right well the interesting thing I guess is we're, we're talking about the the sort of relative um, lack of stop motion in the film but Ray spent six months on, on the animation for the, the squirrel and the, the later crocodile sequence. Now, as, a, as we'll get on to, the, the, the crocodile or the alligator model no longer exists. So this squirrel model is actually now one of the oldest Ray Harryhausen creations that's still 
complete. Um, we still have the, the skeleton from the seventh voyage of Sinbad, which is in perfect condition. We obviously have all of Ray's early models from his fairy tales and so forth. But in terms of Ray's movies, this is from 1960, the oldest kind of complete surviving model. So yeah, an important piece. And uh, again, as we mentioned, it's the kind of the last models that Ray designed in the USA before he, um, before he relocated to the UK permanently. <laughs> the crocodile or alligator uh, is it no in my longer book, exists in my book it says alligator do i have to reprint harry house and the lost movies well, oh, no. this is this is the thing so i i have asked i always ask alan friswell our conservator i think technically it's a crocodile but if you look at all of ray harry Housen's own writings he refers to it as an alligator so you know i'm not gonna who am i to question ray i'm gonna refer to it as an alligator too um i think I think in the film or, you know, in the, in the blurb and so forth for the film, it's called a crocodile. But here we have, now this is not the crocodile or the alligator that you see in the film. This is a, a stand-in model, which I think you'll, you'll recognise that the, the sort of the, the snout here is a little different. Nevertheless, it's contemporary. It's a model that was created for the three worlds of Gulliver. It's a hard rubber stand-in model. And Ray and created this um, himself, didn't he? Ray Harryhausen. Yes, he did. I think pro probably for, for lighting tests and so forth. So I'll, it's a long model. I'll just uh, zoom past the, the, the camera here. But I mean, great, great to have this too, because it's one that Ray Harryhausen built. And uh, again, another model that Vanessa refers to from her childhood. She remembers the alligator being in her, her home and uh, being, being a model that, much like Guanji, one that she was allowed to, to spend time with and play with. So I, I suppose, like, in terms of race creatures, when you think of the type of movies that Ray was making in the, the, the later 1960s, something like an alligator armature was just far too useful. Um, and so it was cannibalized at some point in that decade for, for parts. Uh, armatures are, are not cheap to make. And um, a lot of the, the sort of dinosaur models and so forth from, and dragon models from Ray's earliest films were, were ca cannibalized in his early career simply because these parts were hard to come by. And, you know, Ray liked to take care of his creations, but he also had a very practical attitude towards making movies. And occasionally just uh, a creature had to, to bite the bullet and, and be reused and uh, live on uh, um, in, a, in another movie. So the score for Gulliver is noteworthy because, of course, it has Bernard Herrmann, again, teaming up with Ray Harryhausen for the second time. And, of course, he'd go on to do uh, Mysterious Island and Jason and the Argonauts. But, Connor, you had a particular find in the archive when it came to the score and something that hasn't been heard or released before. What, what was that? 
That's right. So I, I suppose The Three Worlds of Gulliver is unusual in that it contains a couple of songs. The, the film, as you mentioned, uh, was originally planned to star Danny Kaye and it was going to be a musical to begin with, uh, which is ki- kind of ironic because one of the revelations in Vanessa Harryhausen's new book, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema, is that Ray was a huge fan of musicals, you know, outside of his his own work in the sort of genre films that he was interested in. He was a big fan of musicals. So this is the closest, I suppose, that you ever get to to a musical Ray Harryhausen film. And there are two tracks in in the movie that are are played. There's uh, there's a, a song called What a Wonderful, Wonderful Man is Gulliver. And there's a second called Gentle Love. And they were written by external songwriters, so they're not by Bernard Herrmann. But searching through the archive, we have some quarter-inch audio tapes and uh, we, we digitised those. Uh, we were delighted to find some of the spotting sessions for Bernard Herrmann's score for The Three Worlds of Gulliver and uh, isolated audio for Kerwin Matthews singing the song Gentle Love. So this is, you know, a real, um, you know, a, a real piece of lost treasure uh, and it kind of goes to show the, the type of material that Ray Harryhausen kept and which uh, you know we're, we're lucky enough to, to catalogue and digitise with it in the foundation so well let's have a listen to that because this has never been heard before uh, you know before 2020 this had been, remained uh, locked in a in a secure box so let's have a have a listen. That far off star won't seem so far when love is in your heart gentle love gentle love makes you strong and wise and tall gentle love gentle love the greatest gift of all stop searching for the rainbow's end it's wrong to even start for you have more than gold my friend when love is in your That's incredible and the quality as well is, is is very sharp isn't it when you think it's a magnetic quarter inch tape from from that many years ago um it's very good quality isn't it connor yes it's excellent and you know 
when, when you listen to things like that, it's it's a bit like the John Barry tape that we uh, that we found a few years ago for the unreleased score for Clash of the Titans. It it really brings history to life because you could be listening to something that was recorded yesterday. It doesn't sound old. It doesn't sound like degraded in any way. Uh, and so yes, uh, here's to, to lots more uh, magnificence that finds within the archive. Um, really great to hear Kerwin Matthews singing because he was a he was a he was a trained singer, and I don't think it was a an aspect of his talents that he really got to show off very often in his, in his acting career. So great to hear Kerwin Matthews singing there, and you know a little bit unusual for for a Harryhausen movie. There's not a, a great deal of sort of singing and um, musical numbers throughout the, the 16 films that he made. So uh, a slightly unusual, um, but very interesting diversion there. Yeah, you can't imagine Lord of the Marsh having his own song um, in Clash of the Titans. Um, was it stereo? Because I ask, because a lot of quarter inches sometimes are stereo, but they're mixed down for mono. And the released version of the soundtrack to Gulliver, which um, here's the CD version of it um, from Cloud9 Records, that's all from the mono stems of the film. Um, of course, it was re-recorded um, there a few years ago um, by Joel McNeely with the uh, Scottish National Orchestra up your neck of the woods there, Connor. Um, so sort of a stereo version of the film was created. Um, um, just great, again, I mean, aside from the, the, the Kerwin Matthews find, just great to listen in on those uh, Bernard Herrmann spotting sessions because it's such a classic soundtrack. It was Herrmann's favourite of the four scores that he created with Ray Harryhausen and Charles Schneer. And what I find really interesting is it's the, it was the first score that he created after Psycho. So he made the music for Psycho and then went straight on to the music from Three Worlds of Gulliver. And you can't really imagine more of a contrast. Yes, no, I mean, it's, you know, great Bernard Herrmann. He was, he was always asked to do things he was most successful with, and that would be thrillers, the work of Alfred Hitchcock and other other filmmakers would say, do that, you know, or they'd use sometimes Herman's music in it as a temp track during the edits, then get Herman in and he'd hear his own temp tracks being used in edits and be asked to do a, a sort of a, a, a faux version of what he'd done before for other filmmakers. And uh, he was um, he was quite an irascible character as well. There's lots written about Bernard Herman. I think we've done special musical podcasts, Connor, haven't we, looking at the music of, uh, of these films. But as you say, you know, we're peeling back layers of... Um, you know, layers of the onion, if you like. And, and that's hearing, you know, Cohen Matthews there. It makes us realise that I think our film and tape archive hasn't really been fully explored and exploited. So I think there'll be more to come on future podcasts for people who want to listen and hear something a bit new and a bit exclusive, which is, uh, it always gives me tingles when I hear something new like that. Yes, absolutely. And again, it, it just highlights why why Ray's archive is so special because it's so multifaceted, uh, you know, you, you you wrote a whole book about the, the lost movies, uh, but now we have lost audio and, lo and you know, lots of other interesting uh, pieces of history which have been kept by Ray. Uh, you know, a lot of other filmmakers may not have kept, uh, may not have kept audio tapes like that and not have kept sort of special pieces of history in that fashion. So we're, again, very grateful for Ray's foresight there. Now, in terms of uh, lost movies, and as you say, there's Harry and the Lost Movies that came out last year, um, which I wrote, and... In that book, we have obviously the scenes that we talked about from Gulliver that were lost, but there was actually a lost Gulliver project in itself. So there was a television pilot that was created in 1963 for Columbia Pictures and for their um, label Screen Gems, which was um, the uh, studio or label they used to make television drama for high quality drama. And a very famous Scottish actor from Jason the Argonauts uh, 
will be would have been cast as Gulliver and in fact was cast because the pilot was filmed although we haven't been able to locate so far that episode and uh, what can you tell us about that wonderful Scottish actor Connor because he's somebody that you've met and that you know pretty well yes yes John Kearney is a you know a, a wonderful raconteur and he's become a good friend of of mine and a good friend of the foundation and he was kind enough to sort of tell us a little bit about his memories of of shooting this pilot of Gulliver with uh, with Ray Harryhausen and Charles Schneer um you know again this is this is just after the release of the movie um this 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 uh, television series it sounds intriguing uh, and there's some fantastic images of John tied up on the beach in that classic shot. Um, again, I think another forced perspective shot uh, made by Ray Harryhausen of, of people standing in the foreground, uh, sorry, John Kearney in the foreground, people standing kind of 30 feet away to, to make them look like uh, small Lilliputians. Um, I do wonder what a Ray Harryhausen television show may have been like. Obviously, as you mentioned, John, there are um, numerous adventures of Gulliver that are not depicted in, in the 1960 film. And, you know, it's fair to say that with a bit of imagination, writers could come up with all kinds of interesting scrapes for, for Gulliver to get into. Uh, but I suppose that the difficulty would be for, for Ray himself. I mean, the stop motion in this movie took six months to make. So the idea of, of creating special effects for, you know, a six part or eight part television show would have been, um, you know, it would have been a fairly big demand. Uh, but yeah, I wonder. I wonder where that pilot is. It would be great to see it again. We've got John Kearney's memories, and we've got a few fantastic um, images. Uh, some of which he shared for your book exclusively of him dressed as Gulliver. Um, but yes, uh, somewhere out there, there must be uh, a tape of of that uh, that lost television show, a Harryhausen TV show. I guess every child in the sixties and seventies would have loved to have seen that. Absolutely. And it was an untransmitted pilot, from what I understand. So I asked um, people down at the Columbia Pictures Archive, and they think they don't have it, but they don't know they don't have it, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, it may be discovered. Now, often with films, um, Doctor Who's have been found and, and other supposedly lost programmes because they haven't been filed under their name. So if, if Doctor Who Tomb of the Cybermen had been filed under Doctor Who Tomb of the Cybermen, then it would have been found. But of course, often... Um, local TV companies and stations have things um, labelled in different ways. So it might be a code number or a code name. And so, of course, it's very difficult to, uh, to pinpoint things, but uh, I'm kind of hopeful. Now, there is another um, Harryhausen connection and a Doctor Who connection as well. So Doctor Who number two, Pat Trousen, um, appeared in two Ray Harryhausen films, of course, 1963's um, Jason the Argonauts and, of course, Melantius in uh, 1977, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. But he also appeared here as the Lilliputian mayor. And I, I spoke to his son about this to see if he had any information he could give me. Luckily, in, in, in John Kearney's um, wonderful biography, he allowed me to quote um, a sequence about that. But um, Ray Harryhausen's archive is forever turning up these wonderful bits of, um, it's not fair to call them trivia, but wonderful bits of small information that ties the universe together. There's lots of Doctor Who fans that follow Ray Harryhausen, and there's lots of major Doctor Who moments within Ray Harryhausen, not least of all Tom Baker being cast as Doctor Who as a result of starring in the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. So a lot of nice Doctor Who synergy there as well, Connor. Yeah, I think, again, it reflects that pool of British actors who, who Ray was working with and who appeared in his movies, you know, sometimes more than once. And uh, those, those connections with the... Uh, with Doctor Who, with, with James Bond, with the Hammer movies and so forth, they, they all kind of uh, 
blend together and again it's a tribute to Ray's contribution to to the British film industry despite being an American man and, and making kind of Hollywood pictures so so yes a, a lost treasure there um and and looking back on the three worlds of Gulliver it's it's a movie which is still played on television fairly regularly the uh, the wonderful talking pictures tv has screened a, a few t- times this year and it is that kind of perfect Sunday afternoon film you know fun for for all of the family um I suppose it's possibly slightly more oriented towards children than than many of Ray's later films um and so yes it's uh, it's, it's a, a great watch and as I mentioned you can watch it on blu-ray now and with a fantastic um high definition 4k restoration so it looks better than ever I think, you know, the, the reason it was chosen and the reason Columbia got behind it was partly because of the Walt Disney Company at the time were doing something called the Wonderful World of Disney for television or being very successful with it. So this sort of entry by Columbia Pictures into the sort of the child family friendly markets, uh, much more so than, than the other Sinbad adventures and so on, um, I think was an attempt to try and crack that nut because it's a profitable one. You think of Mary Poppins and the like. Um, this this would have this could have if this was from the Walt Disney Company, Connor, we would have thought actually yes, it feels like a Walt Disney film. You know, it has that sort of bright Technicolor look about it. It has the very sort of positive, upbeat um, situations and and the songs. So it it feels like it, it it's trying to be the Walt Disney Company from the nineteen sixties in many ways, doesn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. You wouldn't. This wouldn't look out of place on on Disney Plus, or or or, or you know, there was, this wouldn't look out of place um, of that particular era of of Disney movies. Um, and yeah, very colourful, very upbeat, um, you know, comedic in places. And it, it you know, it was a successful film as well. It was released on the sixteenth of December, or you know, widely released on the sixteenth of December, nineteen sixty. Uh, Princess Margaret was in attendance for the premiere, uh, so Ray has some sort of fond memories of of, uh, of watching the film with, with the royal family, and uh, um, and yes, uh, you know, uh, another successful movie for the Harryhausen and Chelsea partnership. Uh, which would continue on to Mysterious Island the next year. So Ray, Ray was really on a roll, I suppose, at this point, the late 1950s, early 1960s, his movies and his first sort of batch of colour movies are really uh, gaining a lot of traction. Um, they're, they're popular. They all have these wonderful Bernard Herrmann scores and they're, they're fondly remembered more than half a century later. Yes, absolutely. So... Now, as we sort of leave um, Three Worlds of Gulliver behind, I think you've got some exciting news for people who um, who entered, and it seems like such a long time ago now, people entered to vote for their favourite Ray Harryhausen creature in our, in our ultimate top 10. Uh, yes, that's right, John. Uh, the, this this uh, 2020 has been quite a long year, I think it's fair to say, and uh, the summer seems like a long time ago now. But if you cast your minds back to May and June of this year, we ran our poll for the ultimate top 10 Harryhausen creations. Uh, Thousands of people entered. And as we mentioned at the time, 10 entrants would be selected at random to win a copy of Vanessa Harryhausen's new book, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema. Now, the book, like so many things this year, was was delayed slightly, but it's here now. Uh, It's widely available and uh, 10 lucky competition entrants have have won. So shall I read out the first five, John? Yes, please. How very exciting. Drum roll. Yes, this is it. I know know, know that people entered a long time ago, so this is is great. People have been waiting a long time to hear these results. So congratulations to Chris Lieferman, Brian Koch, 
Dan Smolinski, Ruth Brompton Charlesworth, and Nick Joy. All of you have won a copy of Vanessa's brand new book and uh, we'll be in touch soon to, to send that to you. And the next five lucky winners are Luciano Latanzi, Ho Kai Wai, Brian McFile, Paul Pickford, and David Macy Beckwith. So congratulations to all you boys and girls who are getting something from Santa, hopefully uh, this Christmas, and we're going to do our very best to make sure they, uh, they arrive to you by Christmas time. That, that's right. Yes, it's great to see uh, Vanessa's book now kind of widely available. I know a lot of people have received theirs over the last month or so. Um, the reviews have started to come in and, you know, it seems like it's been incredibly well received. I mean, it's a, a, it's a really lovely book. Vanessa's not here right now, so we can embarrass her a little by, by praising her book. But it's a, it is a fantastic um, publication and it's great to see. How, how well received it's been by by Ray's fans. Some some people who knew Ray very well, some people who are friends of Ray who, or who worked with them, others who have been sort of long term fans, um, all getting a, a great deal out of this new book. I suppose because it's Vanessa's perspective, it's completely unique. It's uh, by the person that knew the man himself very well, and it sort of celebrates a hundred years of his life with a hundred objects from his incredible collection. So yeah, so it's, it's a new perspective, it's new pictures, and there are some new things in there as well. So without giving the game away too much, the Miniton head, which hasn't been seen um, really since uh, filming in 1977, new photography of that, and it's in remarkably good condition. What is it about the, uh, the, uh, the villains in Ray's films that they seem to uh, hop, skip and jump through uh, generations without aging at all? I think there's a lesson there. Um, I'm not sure it's a good one, but um, a lesson to be, to be sure. Um, it's a very exciting book, Connor, because there have been so many Harryhausen books. I can't think of any other filmmaker that's had as many visual books as this. I mean, lots of people have had theoretical books written about their work, uh, but to have this many coffee table art books, and, and this really is the ultimate one. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it really sums up Ray's life and career. Previous books have looked at his work, but of course, to have looked at his life from, from Vanessa's perspective, who better than Vanessa herself? And it really is a terrific book and, and she deserves all the plaudits she's getting. There's been a, a myriad of five star reviews that, you know, in the newspapers and, and online as well. The fans are loving it. So congratulations to the 10 who've, uh, who've won it there. What I would ask of you is that please leave an Amazon review because um, everything helps. You know, the foundation needs to get as much, um, you know, as, as, as much sort of attention as possible from the book and for the exhibition, Connor, because, of course, the book is very much in tandem with the exhibition very closely. It's considered to be a catalogue of the exhibition, isn't it? That's right. The book has been published by the National Galleries of Scotland. And what what's kind of unique about this book is that it's it's part catalogue as well. So it reflects many of the models and artworks that you'll see in the exhibition, but it also contains items that were personally, um, you know, personally very important to Vanessa too. Things, things that, you know, are not on display in Edinburgh or are not currently being exhibited. So you've got that great mix of the hero models, the, the, the big hitters, the skeletons, Medusa, Talos. But then you've got little, um, you know, these diversions into race home life. What kind of, uh, you know, his recipes, the things he liked to cook at home, um, 
family photographs of, of life in London, you know, during the making of films such as Mysterious Island and The Three Worlds of Gulliver, what, what, what was going on in Ray's uh, sort of personal life at the time. So it's the first book that really tracks uh, from, from the beginning to, to the end of, of Ray's life, um, his, his, the vast scope of his career, his filmmaking career, his personal life, and, you know, what he was like as, as a person. And I know that uh, a lot of people have mentioned what a wonderful sort of humble man Ray was. And, and Vanessa really wanted to reflect that too. His, his dry sense of humor, his sort of uh, his approach to life that, um, you know, she wanted people to, to get to know the person. Also, I think Vanessa was keen to ensure that his many friends and people that had worked with him had a chance to contribute too, to, to kind of, uh, speak about aspects of his life that maybe she wasn't around for or she didn't, you know, she didn't have quite as much expertise on. So we've got filmmakers and photographers, people that worked with Ray on his films, people that knew him best, all kind of contributing their thoughts and their memories. So we've got John Landis, Randy Cook, Rick Baker, photographers Andy Johnston and Mark Mostyn, Alan Friswell, of course, the, the Foundation's conservator. Uh, and yourself, John, you, you met Ray as a teenager and you were able to, to sort of share your memories of, of meeting and, and working with Ray at such a young age. Yeah, I think I'm still a teenager. I don't know. I haven't looked at my watch, but I, think I'm, I don't know. I don't know how many years ago it was. I, I'm scared to do the, the math on that one, on the maths. Um, the book itself, of course, people are going to be watching this who can't get to the exhibition and will want that for Christmas because it's great value too. Where, where, can, they, um, where can they order it from? Well, you can order the book from the National Galleries of Scotland directly, uh, but it's now available from all kind of major booksellers. So you can get it on Amazon.co.uk, Amazon.com, uh, Waterstones, Blackwells, any kind of online bookshop. And if you visit the exhibition, of course, it's there to it's there to, to greet you in the in the gift shop too. There's a wonderful range of Harry housing gifts um, available to purchase when you when you go to the the exhibition of the same name. Uh, I know that material too is available online from the National Gallery shop. So this year, you know, we have we have tried to make an effort. Uh, we know that just because of the, the current situation, not every well, a lot of people are not able to travel at all. And so the exhibition runs until September 2021. Hopefully, 2021 will be a slightly kinder year, and people will be able to see all of Ray's artwork and models in person. But if you can't, then Vanessa's book is this incredible insight into the Harryhausen archive and there's a lot of uh, material available online too that you, you can take a look at as well the Smartify app for the Titan of Cinema exhibition contains um, images and details of some of the artworks on display it contains a AR skeleton which you can bring to life in your own home through through your smartphone and possibly most tantalizingly of all uh, we have an audio guide to the exhibition, which was read by none other than John Landis. Uh, so if you want to hear John Landis discuss Ray Harryhausen's art and his models and his life, then that, that's uh, free to access um, around the world through your smartphone, through your iPhone or your Android phone. We really want to reach out and let people you know, experience the exhibition, even though they may not have yet been able to travel. And hopefully we'll see you all in 2021 for, for Ray's 101st birthday celebrations in, in, uh, in June of next year. Absolutely. Now let's have a sneak preview of, um, of John Landis talking about Ray Harryhausen. The story of Ray's unique and remarkable career begins with the objects in this room. 
If Ray Harryhausen were a superhero, then his origin story would begin in 1933 with a visit to the legendary Grauman's Chinese Theater in his native Los Angeles. Ray was 13 years old, and the film that he saw that day on Hollywood Boulevard was King Kong. After watching King Kong, the young Ray Harryhausen would never be the same. I can relate to that, as I also had a life-changing experience in an L.A. cinema. For me, it was the Crest Theater in Westwood near UCLA. I was eight years old, and the film was The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, with special effects by, yes, you guessed it, Ray Harryhausen. From that moment on, I wanted to be a filmmaker and make movies. That was marvellous then. John Landis there giving a partial preview of the uh, the guided tour of the uh, the great exhibition Titan of Cinema at the National Galleries of Scotland. Now, as things do calm down as we approach the end of this year and into next, we hope that um, you'll join us up in Scotland for the wonderful exhibition that's going to be running for most of the year. We will, of course, be giving you more updates. You can hear more on our, our websites and Twitter and Facebook page updates. And it leaves me now just to say yeah, happy Christmas and a happy new year to everyone out there. And, uh, and Connor, I think it's time to, to wave off our very first vodcast together. We're going to be waving off with, uh, with Gulliver ringing in our ears, the wonderful Gulliver song. So take care, everyone, and we'll see you in 2021. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2020. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustee or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com where you can find our Facebook and Twitter links.